Hey, Osiris listeners. We want to tell you about our friends at Sunset Lake CBD who support this show. Sunset Lake CBD is a Vermont hemp farm crafting affordable CBD products designed to help with sleep and stress without breaking the bank. If you haven't tried CBD before, take it from me, it's a game changer. I use Sunset Lake's tincture every night before I go to bed, helping me get solid, restful sleep. And their gummies are great for daytime. Check out their new Good Vibes gummies, which have just a bit of hemp-derived THC to help you relax and unwind. Sunset Lake CBD crafts products with hemp grown on their family farm and ships them directly to customers. They have tinctures, salves, edibles, coffee, smokables, and even pet products. By the way, their CBD chocolate fudge is awesome. Check them out today at sunsetlakecbd.com and use coupon code TIME for 20% off all products. Sunset Lake CBD, farmer-owned, Vermont-grown. Hey, this is O'Teal. If you're liking what you're hearing, head on over to patreon.com forward slash comes a time pod and get your bus pass for an extra episode every week. Welcome back to comes a time. I'm Mike. I'm O'Teal. We had a good one this time, man. Billy strings. Wow. That, that's, that was so fun. That was so, uh, he's so, such an incredible musician. And I think the thing I love about him is that he seems like he fits into this timeless fabric of like the history of American music. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. Like he's passing the, he's, he's become the conduit to like timelessness in a way. And to hear his backstory was just so phenomenal. Yeah. I love, uh, hearing people's stories of when they're down and how they get back up. And, uh, it's really beautiful. Uh, he's got a great spirit. Yeah. And a really amazing story. I think you guys are going to really love it. Yeah, dude, totally. Thank you, Billy, for uh, joining us. And thank you all for uh, being a part of another episode. We're here on uh, the Osiris Network, home to a, a ton of amazing, great podcasts. Check them out at OsirisPod.com. And O'Teal and I have a whole big bucket of fun over at Patreon for you. So if you go to Patreon.com slash Comes a Time Pod, you can check out a whole bunch of great content. Um, you can choose your level and, uh, choose your level of adventure. So enjoy, uh, this talk with Billy and, uh, we'll catch you next week. Where, where are you at right now? I'm in at home in Nashville. Nashville. Nice. Is that where you're originally from? No, I grew up in uh, Ionia, Michigan, which is like outside of Grand Rapids, about a half hour. Hmm. Yeah. It's oh, pretty... When did you move to Nashville? Probably about five years ago now. Yeah. It's great. I love Nashville. I can't wait to get back. There's yeah. like a handful of cities that I'm like, when I look at my calendar and I'm like, why can't that come sooner? You know what I mean? Like, I just, I love it so much. It's got so much heart. Yeah. This is a like this right now. We're recording this at like one year ago. Literally, the the shit started, like the pandemic kind of began like a yeah. month, a, a year ago today. In in Nashville, it began with a fucking tornado. I remember that, dude. It was fucking insane. And thing. like, I had just came home. I was up in uh, Michigan. I did a little string of gigs with my dad, which was actually a total, you know kind of uh something that i've always wanted to do and and um 
so I was up there doing those gigs and it was just so amazing, you know, playing with my dad and playing these old songs I grew up playing and all this, you know, Doc Watson and old Bill Monroe shit. And um, came back home, drove all the way home from Michigan through the night, got home at like, you know, midnight. So by one o'clock in the morning, I was asleep. And then I just woke up in the middle of the night to this crazy, you know, crazy wind blowing. It sounded like a 747 outside my window, you know. Wow. And I look outside and there's, you know, the wind, I can see the wind blowing sideways in the rain and there's shit flying down the street. And I'm going, man, this is a bad storm. And my girlfriend's like, what, what's it look like out there? I'm like, oh, it's all right. You know, let's just go back to sleep. <laughs> so we did. We just went back to sleep, man. And then the next morning we woke up and realized that like two blocks away, they were like, you know, it was ripping the tops off houses and shit. It was crazy. Wow. Whoa, man. Dude, it's just the things that happen on an, and an, on a normal day, take a pandemic out of it that are yeah. devastating. And then add on top of it, the fear of, at that point, it was like people were buying up all the water in town, all the paper towels in town, all the, yeah. it was just, everyone was in panic mode right now. And for that to happen, Jesus. It really showed how strong the community is and how much love there is, no matter what, like, you know, as long as you're not online on Facebook or some shit, there's love you know what i mean like like when sh when shit really goes down people come together like you know and, and you saw that within the community people helping people people you know searching for people's pets and children and family members and you know and digging through the rubble and everybody helping each other out and it was like it was really kind of a remarkable thing to to see and you know nashville is an amazing strong tight-knit kind of community I remember that flood, man. <clears throat> a flood was something. And at Victor Wooten's place, there's a river like running down. And it's way down. Like you got to climb way down to it. And he said, not only did it come up over the top, but then it like flooded this house that was up on, it was already up on like some kind of concrete something raised yeah. off the ground. Like that water rose way up. I was just. Yeah. Some you guys been going through it, yeah. Yeah, man. Uh, now, does your family but, still live in Michigan? Yeah, yeah. My mom and dad, and brother and sister, and uh, nieces and nephews, you know, cousins and stuff. Everybody's up there, really. Yeah. Uh, Lansing and and uh, Ionia area and stuff like that. Yeah. Was, was visiting Nashville like the minute you got there the first time you realized like this is where I need to be? Well. The first time I came here, I thought it was pretty damn cool because, you know, the first we stopped, we got in town and we went somewhere to eat and there was a band picking and I knew some of the members. It's like, hey, I know that guy. That's, you know, Nick D. Sebastian. And um, and we just stopped there to grab, you know, some barbecue or something. And so it's like, hey, I know that guy. And then uh, we went straight to this party where like David Greer was picking and, you know, there was a bunch of badass musicians there and stuff and i felt like totally this new kid i remember that it being really weird because i kind of tried to join this jam and there was some like kind of drunk dude that just kind of rubbed me the wrong way and i didn't feel very invited but you know i, I don't know it, it was it was weird at that time like i was trying to fit in i guess and um that was back when i was on the road with don julian playing as a as, as a duo and uh 
and we, I still lived in Michigan and he would, you know, he has a family there and everything. And so I always felt like I was pretty tied down to Michigan. But when that band sort of broke up that duo, you know, we went our separate ways. I was like, Oh, I'm free to go anywhere. Shit. I'm going to Nashville because uh, I want to pick, you know, and, and I was in Traverse city and I love that area, man. Great fishing. It's beautiful. There's beach and sunshine and there's, it's a, nice kind of artsy little community lots of music and stuff but not a lot of picking you know what i mean like people there's songwriters up there that are writing beautiful songs in a minor but there's no fucking hardcore bluegrass and i mean there's a little bit there's a few pickers up there that i know but you know what i mean like you can't just go anywhere and get into good jam with some serious fiddlers and dobro players and banjo pickers and stuff and that's what I wanted to do. I remember living in Traverse City, just like being sad, playing my guitar by myself. Just, man, I wish I had somebody to pick with, you know, so I could play Big Mon and, you know, like. <laughs> and um, that's why I moved down here so I could pick. And then when I moved down here, I hardly ever, you know, I was on, got on the road quick and then I hardly ever end up any in any of those jams. <laughs> so. Yeah, and I was so busy that whenever I was home, it's like, I don't feel like going out and jamming right now. (laughs) (laughs) It's funny when it happens. I remember going to the Station Inn with Matt Mundy. He Mm -hmm. turned me on to that place. And uh, I don't know if they had, they probably had jam sessions there, huh? Oh, yeah. I think like Monday night, or, you know, one of the, there used to be like a Monday night jam there, I think. Like all the time people would just come, you know, bring your instruments and pick. And there's a, you know, there's something that happens like that at the American Legion Hall. And, uh, you know, maybe I shouldn't even speak about it because it's already gotten way too big. Uh, <laughs> it used to be like, you know, yeah. real. And now there's, you know, 30 banjos and 15 fiddles and <laughs> you can't hear anything. And you never get a chance to pick. <laughs> so you, were, you, were, you couldn't find anybody to pick with before. And then now there's too many people. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it's one of the best things about Nashville though. Like when I would go down and do stand up, like you get done with the show. I'd get done with my shows, you know, like ten, eleven, whatever. And then you could just hit the strip and just there's people playing you walk by it's like New Orleans oh, in a way yeah. where you walk by every window. There's there's a fun scene, such it's talented people that you're amazing. never gonna know their names and amazing just, players too, you know, and Yeah. And, and yeah, I noticed that the first time I came to Nashville, we went down Broadway sort of as like a tourist, you know, like I've never been here and, you know, went down to Ernest Tubbs record shop and all that yeah. and, and checked it out. And, and yeah, I noticed that same thing. I mean, these guys are starting at 10 in the morning and go until two in the morning, you know, every two hours, a different band in every single stage on the strip. You know, I mean, these, how many bands are playing per day? How many sets? How many songs i mean it's just constant music and there you're always hearing some old keith whitley song or something when you're walking by and it's like <laughs> hell yeah man you heard i heard i'm drinking more than i should that i ain't been looking all that good you just hear that shit when you're walking by it's like man i love that song it help but be happy <laughs> yeah. i was surprised how many uh musicians of all the different genres that are badasses that are there. Cause you know, we would go that what was the third and Lindsley it was called. Mm-hmm. And the Wootens used to have a jam there. Like I think it was every Wednesday 
or something wow. like that. And then I met all these, you know, it's like all these kind of fusion players and guys that could play jazz, you know. And then there's a, the the gospel scene is real big there too. So you just there's a lot of musicians of a lot of yeah. different styles that are really gifted. Yeah, it's really cool, man. And I think mostly, you know, when you think of Nashville, you do think maybe country or bluegrass. You think of a band with a fiddle, um, you know, but there is like I've been to some sick metal shows here. You know, I've mm. been to some some sweet, you know, just there's always something cool coming through. And then every once in a while at the Bridgestone, there's something big, you know, like I went and saw Tool there and that was just so badass. Man. So badass, dude. Yeah, it was incredible. Did you go this past? Did you go the year right before? Uh, yeah, I saw him on that tour too. Yeah, the you, production I, was so awesome. I was like agree the big more. chain mail thing that oh. comes out in the front of the stage, and yeah, I was. It was great, you know. We like ate a couple of mushrooms and went up in there, and it was like Maynard was doing his thing, and it was just you know he was like creeping around in the back like a weirdo, and I was just loving it, man. <laughs> yeah, it was yeah. great, dude. I walked out of that so. I was deaf for two days afterwards. <laughs> I wore earplugs because we, I... We, we were at... I had earplugs. Did it, Othiel, did I tell you about this? How I had the earplugs in my hand and the bass hit and one of them just went pop and like flew like a, a row away. And I'm like... So I had one ear, one plug and I kept moving it from ear to ear. We had really good seats. We were like six rows off the stage. Oh, wow. But I want to go further back. I wanted... I had bought tickets right away to another show because I wanted to sit further back and watch the screens better. Alex yeah. Gray came out. They like paid tribute to him, and he came out at Barclays. And yeah, that was a very that was that show blew me away. Well, as a musician, and you know, somebody who's like doing this stuff, and I'm always looking for cool stuff, whether it's sounds or looks, or you know, what are people doing? What's cool? What's what's hip these days? And you know, what are people doing production wise, as far as you know, the lights and the the show and stuff? And that was just something I'd never seen before. I mean, they. They had this like chainmail stuff that came out in front of the stage and then they were projecting images onto it and the band was kind of behind it, you know, behind this transparent sort of wall of chainmail stuff. Wow. And it was just it created this really 3D kind of like they were they were playing in this little cylinder room, you know. Unreal. So amazing. Yeah. <laughs> so loud. <laughs> <laughs> and so good too, man. They played so many of the good songs that I was hoping to hear and stuff. And yeah, it was, it was great. So holy shit, I can't wait to go do something like that again, man. See a band, <laughs> like uh, really, or be at a festival, you know, like be down at Swanee or you know out at High Sierra or just anywhere, man, with all the all the people. I was just at Swanee, and it was great, but uh. It it was cold and we got rained on big time. <laughs> I was like, "Welcome back to the road." <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. We had a really good time, though. We had a really good time. It was difficult for me not seeing people. Like when it gets dark, you know where the part pods are. I couldn't really see. You've played a few of those like driving shows, haven't you? I thought I saw you. Yeah, we did like a little drive-in tour where we played about. I don't know, a handful of gigs like from Pennsylvania and we worked our way over towards like Wisconsin. Yeah. How was that? It, it was really different for me. Like I was like, it's something that I would have to do like seven in a row to get used to because it really threw me 
like not having the yeah. energy right just even if i'm not well, looking right at people just seeing the bodies moving you know yeah i mean i i definitely get that are you getting a little soft playing with dead and coke being, you know, having all those big old crowds like that, you know, you know, I don't, <laughs> I don't even, it doesn't even need to be. You remember big. what playing, what playing in bars was like. <laughs> yeah. But I don't remember like playing to like nobody. Yeah. <laughs> well, be at least five butts moving. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I guess like at, at, at those little drive-in things we did, I could see some people at least like up front, but yeah, it's really spaced out. And then I guess for me, it was like, knowing that out there in that darkness is like a sea of people they're just really stretched out and spread out yeah and, yeah but but that i tell you what it sure as hell beats doing like a live stream for no one yeah for <laughs> sure at least after the song you can pop, crack an ear open or something and just oh yeah okay like they're cheering yeah, for you us. hear a distant you hear hey, a distant you know i it's miss way in the back it's funny it's like yeah yeah, it is way in the back. It's far and it's <laughs> the faint the faint echo of a distant car horn. Just, yeah. Honk, and then also honk. like yeah, the honks, the honks. <laughs> the honks. Um so like we had these jumbo, you know, the big jumbotrons, a couple of them and that's another thing is just knowing that okay, I'm the way that I can kind of make contact with those people in the back is to look into the camera guy, you know, look look into the lens. Mm. maybe you know what i mean it's like and the yeah. people in the back will will see me on the jumbotron looking directly at them you know through the through the lens yeah. or whatever but yeah but i don't know i've i mean we did that you know the whole thing at the the cap last weekend and it's got me really thinking about that because there was no people there but we were yeah. trying to connect with people through the ether anyways and so like you know with music it's a weird thing. Like, think about the Opry, you know, back in the day, everybody tuning in every Saturday night to listen to the Grand Ole Opry and, and all over the place, you know, and all those people are connected for a moment. Like, they are kind of in the same little party. Right. In their heads. You know? It's like the old radio shows, uh, uh, the, the Shadow. Remember, who knows what evil lurks in the hearts and minds of men? The shadow <laughs> knows. Like, we caught the tail end of, like, where you could catch, like, a radio. Because that's how they used to do soap operas, you know? Yeah. It was just all on the radio. <laughs> I was always fascinated by those. There was a show when I was a kid growing up that was called, like, The Elephant Show. It was, like, Sharon, Lois, and Bram's Elephant Show. And it was, like, this children's show that was, like, a public tv type thing it came on maybe like after sesame street or something when i used to babysit my siblings and they used to reenact those sam spade mystery like uh you know like the the detective was walking down the hall and they had the wooden blocks on the desk that would be like yeah. like making noises and it's like a knock at the door and it was so cool the way that they would use sound to portray so you can sit at home at, around your radio and like picture everything that's happening, you know what I mean? And like, I love that stuff so much. And it's right, you're you're kind of there, you're in it, no matter where you are. Like you're watching the Opry, you could be in Maine, but you're still there, you know? Yeah, plugged <laughs> in. I really, I'm interested about what you did at the Cap, and you know, I first read about that ESP experiment in the Paul Grushkin Deadheads book way back. When I first started listening to The Dead, I grabbed whatever books I could and read about them and read about them. And I ripped the 
description of that ESP experiment out and brought it to my high school psychology teacher. And I was like, can we talk about this in class? And he was like, oh, yeah. He's like, do you, do you do drugs? Like he got really like kind of, <laughs> <laughs> he was also my football coach, but uh, I, I was, I've always been interested in that 1971 experiment that they did. And I was so stoked to see that you were doing it. Like, how did that come about to you? Like what gave, were you, is that something that like you've always been sort of like fascinated by, or was this just an idea that came to you or like, no, um, my manager brought it to me, actually. He, it was, you know, his sort of idea. He knows a lot more about, you know, the history of the dead and stuff than I do. And and a lot more about a lot of stuff than I do. I'm sort of a latecomer to the, to the, to the dead thing, man. Like, I, I was a bluegrass kid, and I came in via David Grisman. You know, and nice. olden in the way, I realized Jerry played with, you know, I, you know, later on, I realized Jerry Garcia was the dude that played with Grisman, who was like one of my heroes. I'm like, oh, he plays in the dead. Let's check out the dead. And, you know, when I was like younger, I'm talking probably 13, 14. I was really into a lot of that stuff. Um, but man, I, at first it just, I didn't get it. You know, it slipped over my head. I didn't understand the jamming. I liked Casey Jones. It was like back then I used to like the the record cuts more. It's like, oh yeah, yeah that's pretty yeah. cool. And it's not now. I'm like, I don't listen. To, I want to listen to the live shit. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, uh, I just sort of veered off there. What was the original thing? Uh, we were no, just, just the, about? the ESP, like read, you know, that experiment. And the yeah, idea so my of like- my manager brought it up, and then I started checking it out, and and he was trying to explain it to me, and I'm like, what? Like, <laughs> like what? And I'm like, you know, usually he's the one that's been like, man, you're smoking too much weed, you know. <laughs> I'm like Bill, what are you? What are you smoking? I need some of that. <laughs> You're telling me you want to try to have our fans transmit a freaking image to O2? <laughs> like what? <laughs> and then he's he sent me this article, and I started reading about it. And then I started listening to the shows, and I got really into it. And I, I it took me a while to even grasp what the hell he was talking about. <laughs> And, you know, he's like, well, yeah, me and Shapiro are talking about like redoing this thing and, you know, just not really redoing it, just paying homage to it, you know, to say thank you and just kind of, um, you know, and then the more I talked about it with them and the more I thought about it, the more I realized, dude, that's actually pretty cool, you know, and that's, yeah, that's badass. And then just like, wow, they really did that, you know, <clears throat> that's Probably. freaking incredible. They were uh, experimenting with consciousness. You know, yeah. I am into all that stuff. And I actually wanted to have Stanley Krippner on. And I thought, well, he's so old right now. He's probably too old to talk about it and whatever, you know. And then I saw him on you guys' webcast. I was like, whoa, not only is he still alive, he's like super lucid. <laughs> I texted yeah. Mike and Eric. I was like, Krittner's alive. It's super lucid. We got to get him on the podcast. But uh, <laughs> you, you've never had any like weird, I always ask students and stuff, like if I ever teach somewhere and I ask people like, you ever had any weird mystical or like something that's so coincidental, it just seems. My too- dreams, man. I like I've done shit in my dreams that have tripped me out pretty well. Yeah. Like and it's not always it's it's a rare occurrence but like over 
I don't know. Just there's been some shit in my dreams that has happened in real life, or yeah. that was just uh, like almost premonitions in a way that kind of have even scared me. Like the the morning of uh, the Paris attacks at that concert mm. and everything. Mm. That morning before it happened, I woke up from a dream of all that same shit. I woke up. I mean, I was having a dream that I was upstairs in this building on the second floor and I looked out the window and there were just dudes walking down the streets with ARs just shooting people. And me and my girlfriend, we were trying to run and, you know, and I woke up from that scary ass dream and, you know, my girlfriend's like, what's up? And I'm like, I just had this fucking crazy dream. It was like terrorists and they were just shooting everybody. And then later on that night, you know, it was like, I started hearing about Paris and I was just like, what the fuck? Wow. Is that the thing that Ariana Grande was in? Uh, I'm, it was the Eagles of Death Eagles Metal. Eagles of Death Metal? Was the band that oh, I'm thinking that's right. of. Yeah, and it was just a spur of attacks all over this area in Paris. You know, they just hit one yeah. spot and they hit this other spot and they just kept, you know, and they, they went into this concert and that's where they actually held people hostage and the whole shit went down. But like, wow. it was it was terrible. But But, but yeah, I like, dreamt of that hours before which totally messed me up and then the other crazy thing that i you know happened in my dreams was i like i developed a safe space where i can go when shit hits the fan like a place Mm -hmm. in my dreams where every time where if it gets real bad i'm like i know where to go wow and it's this old like victorian style house in the middle of the country with a big willow tree in the front yard and you go down in the basement and it's like this long hallway and you just keep running and keep running as far as you can to the point where it's like we're so far down in this like cellar that nobody would ever come this far down here to look for us and and I've been to that place in several different dreams like the first time the first time I had that dream was uh I was still young enough to be running from the cops to not get an MIP. So that's what the dream was about. Um, I was at a party and it was at that house, big old willow tree. It was my friend Kyle Gould's house in my dream, big white house, you know, beautiful old house. And um, we're all partying in the front yard and the cops showed up and everybody's like, run. So me and my brother ran down into the basement and we just ran, ran, ran down this hallway. I'm like, let's just keep going so far back that, you know, so we were safe down there. We weren't going to get caught by the cops. And then like a year later or six months later, I don't know, I had a dream that I was just like walking through a park and it was a beautiful day and people were throwing Frisbees to their dog and it was sunshine. And all of a sudden just bombs start dropping, just bombs. Oh. And, oh. I'm, and I'm just like, I know where to go. And I went to that house and went down in the basement and just ran down in the cellar. And um, Holy cow, man. And it happened one other time as well, where I had a dream that I was at school. And again, it was my brother and I, and uh, everybody at school was just, had went insane. It was like some crazy, like the purge or something where it was like sister against brother and best friends were killing each other. And, you know, and it was just, everybody was killing each other. And me and my brother were like, let's go. And we went into this like closet in, in the high, in my high school. And it was like a boiler room, like, like the janitor closet. And then we went through this door in there 
And next thing you know, we're in that house and then, okay, go downstairs, down to the basement and run, run, run. And it's like, wow. so yeah. And set in a couple different dreams. I, I, when shit hit the fan, I was like, I know where to go. And we just went, to, I, like I developed this little kind of safe place within my uh, sleep, you know, my wow. I've never heard of anything like that before. That's incredible. That to me, that's got to be some type of past life shit, man. To me, <laughs> hey, that's got to be somewhere that like you hit out before you were here as you, you know, maybe <laughs> the question is, no, no. did your brother dream about the same room in the same house? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so, man. My brother dreams about crazier shit than I do. <laughs> See, I have dreams that come true in the future, but they're just the most boring moments, you know, like it's nothing. Uh, it would just be like 10 seconds of just being in a car somewhere or something, you know. Yeah. But it, I know I, I know by picking out things when I'm actually dreaming, because I have this theory that, you know, I always ask students of different people. I'm like, how many people in here have deja vus? And like usually almost every single hand goes up. Yeah. And I ask, I go, Is, do you think it's possible you dreamed it and you just don't remember your dreams? Because I dream it and I remember it. So when the deja vu happens, I go, oh, and I look around and I can attach it to the dream. But it's totally boring. It's never anything like a terrorist attack or plane crash or the you know people going into oh, the Capitol dude. building. You know? Plane crashes, dude. I have dream. I have a lot of dreams about plane crashes. Oh. Like they suck, man. That like, sucks. Yeah. Yeah. They. 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 Like it happens a lot. It's always like. Like we're fucking going down and I can look out the window and see like the, either the, oh. ocean, the ocean or like, you know, it's just, oh. it, yeah, I don't know. That shit happens kind of often. Yeah. You can't Weird. run to the basement room there when you're in the plane. No. Or you could try, go to the bathroom and see if on the other <laughs> side of the bathroom, the house yeah. is there. Just go into the house. Flush yourself down the toilet. <laughs> yeah wow man that's crazy yeah man dreams are like that's why this this it's so cool that you were able to do this experiment again there and did it did you hear about oteals do you know about oteals oh yeah he knows what happened yeah yeah with the boat and the owl and the silverware yeah and all the stuff from the dwellers like poster stuff man that's it is pretty pretty interesting it's funny because when you've Talk, when you first told me about the experiment, my first thought was, oh, my ESP doesn't work that way. It works through dreams, you know, but what uh -huh. the hell, you know, like, what do I know? Maybe it also works in other ways that I don't know, you know, so <laughs> yeah. I, I always like open myself up, you know, and then when I got the little pad and pencils, it said, you're about to participate in an ESP experiment. So I literally, I just thought maybe I'm cheating by like drawing too many things, but I just draw, I was just drawing what came to mind and it's like, oh, were you trying to draw a bunch of things? So you're increasing your chances of hitting something, you know? Right. But then when my manager <laughs> texted me about the kitchen dwellers poster, I was like, oh, <laughs> I hit it three <laughs> times. Damn. That was pretty fucking crazy. Yeah. Dude. That was weird, man. But, you know, it's perfect. 
I I felt like okay, so me and Billy have this connection that's that's real because I started seeing you pop up on my Instagram and just started following you because I love bluegrass and I was like, oh, here's a this guy's somebody I hadn't heard before, and then you like messaged me about when we adopted Kavi, and that just touched me so much, man. I just was like, wow. I went and told my wife, like almost in tears, you know. Oh man, well, yeah. And I, man, I've had a little bit too much coffee to talk about that right now, too. I think I'll probably cry, but it's, it is a really special thing, man. Like my, my, my biological father, I never really got to meet him. He died when I was two years old and, um, and of kind of like an overdose. And, and, uh, so, you know, my, my dad, Terry stepped in when I was two years old, man. And I mean, he, he taught me how to tie my shoes and play guitar and wipe my ass. And he taught me about Doc Watson and Bill Monroe and Lester Flatt and Earl Scruggs. And, yeah. you know, and I had a great childhood. And, and, you know, that guy, he's just the sweetest dude ever, man. He wears his heart, his heart on his sleeve. And he's, he's a badass musician, too, you know. So that's where I get it from. Uh, my, my real dad, my biological father, too, he was also talented, you know, and uh, musically, you know. So I get that kind of from that side of the family as well. But as far as, you know, my dad, uh, he showed me G, C and D and gave me a capo and that was it. <laughs> wow, man. Yeah, man. Wow, that's so beautiful, dude. That's so awesome to hear. That's yeah. right. Around the same time we got Kavi, she was one and a half. She turned two that following December. If we got her here in October, I mean, yeah, she turned two that December we brought her home in October. So it was like right around that same time. I think about it now. I see pictures of her back then. She's so yeah. different now. Man, just like a year and a half or whatever it's been. And um and I and I kind of fast forward too. Like I try to think about her at seven, at ten. Yeah. And like the whole thing. It's really but I think it benefits, I'm sure of it, it's benefiting me and Jess as much as it is her. Absolutely, you know? man. So I know yeah. your dad got, I know what he was getting out of it too. It's a it's a magic thing. Well, I'll tell you what, since I've grown up too, I have done everything I can to give back to that guy too. You know, like I, I grew up and took what he taught me and ran with it and, you know, like, the people that he introduced me to when I was little, I mean, David Grisman and people like that, I was able to turn around and introduce him to them in real life, you know, yes. like, Hey dad, you know, uh, yeah. here, here, meet Del McCurry, meet David Grisman, you know, and, and those guys, you know, we'd sit there and sing together and, you know, oh. Del, Del McCurry invited my dad out to sing on stage at the Ryman and stuff, really? you know, and <laughs> yeah. And yeah. just, Stuff like See, that. It's totally full circle. Anytime, anytime anything happens, like, you know, we got like if anytime I get invited to come play with, you know, you know, hey, dad, Bela Fleck called me. He wants me to play on his record. You know, uh, dad, uh, seldom seen just invited me to sit in. Dad, we just got nominated for a Grammy. You know, it's yeah. it's like because he taught me how to play, man. And as a parent, I feel like that's kind of your duty is to teach your parents or your, your kids how to get along in life. And man, he taught me about music and that's what I ended up doing with my life. And, 
and I have a pretty good, happy life, you know. In fact, very lucky and fortunate. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm very lucky, and so I try to give back to him, man. I've, get, you know, I gave him a couple guitars and stuff, and you know, just shit like that. He he gave me all my guitars when I was little. So hey, yeah. man, now that I got, you know, I'm like, hey, return the favor, you know. That's absolutely beautiful, man. That's so cool. And you know, yeah. that's some t- that's a that's a fire that like can't get put out when you have that. You know, you want to give thanks to the person that gave you so much. Yeah. So incredible to hear, well, man. It's also like my memories with him when I was younger, like my life has been, you know, it hasn't always been so awesome. Like it was awesome from the time I was pretty much born to the time I was about eight or nine years old. I would say I had a freaking great childhood. I mean, filled with bluegrass music, running around down by the creeks and fishing and, you know, just a lot of, a lot of picking, man. A lot of hanging, hanging around down at the. There used to be this place called Barkus Park. It was a campground that uh, the person who owned it, Brad Lasco, he was a banjo picker, and my dad played with him a lot. So when I was a little kid, you'd find me on the cooler sitting there picking with those guys, trying to sing Rocky Top or whatever. Yeah. And um, it was just amazing. I, I look back on those years as so fond. And then, you know, by by the time I was ten, eleven, twelve. Shit kind of went a little downhill. We moved to a different house and, you know, kind of uh, methamphetamine sort of took over this town that I lived in. And, you know, a lot of my friends, a lot of people that I loved went down and, you know, it was it was a bad scene for a minute there. And and that that started a kind of a dark period for me where I dropped out of school and I, you know, I was messing around myself and just kind of being stupid and partying. And I I mean, I was in a band at that time, like a metal band too. And I was, you know, 14, 15 years old, dropped out of school, playing music with kind of these older kids who were, you know, a great influence on me. And, um, and so, uh, yeah, I don't know, like, I feel like I just sort of spaced out. But, it's like uh, two lives in one, though, man. Like, I hear what you're saying. Like, yeah. there's well, a childhood. Look, like, yeah, like looking back on those earlier memories before the kind of bullshit kind of moved in, the cloud sort of came in over my head. Yeah, yeah. Those early memories with my dad have always been the best and, and what I kind of cling to. Thanks for listening. We'll be right back with more on Comes a Time. Hey there, Osiris listeners. I wanted to tell you about our friends over at Smartwool. For more than 25 years, Smartwool has been making merino wool socks and apparel designed to keep you comfortable. Because they want to help you play, laugh, and explore in the outdoors with every thread they knit and every step you take. Because they believe that comfort sharpens focus and lets you perform beyond your limits. They are here to help you feel good. Now, it's up to you how far you will go. Take 15% off of your first order at smartwool.com. Smartwool. Go far, feel good. People, I I worry about this with my kids, but, you know, at some point they're going to face these temptations. And at some point they're going to battle potentially addictions and just the dark side of ourselves. Yeah. Is that what you've, is that what you used to help get you back up out of it? I just came to a point where I realized I was either going to be a nobody or I'm going to be somebody. 
And I was around people that were going to prison, overdosing, committing suicide, you know, cooking meth and, you know, Oxycontin and heroin and all that wow. junk, man. And, yeah. um, and, you know, I started losing friends to it, you know, and stuff, people that I cared about. I was like, man, that can't be me. You know what I mean? Like, <clears throat> I can't, I can't go down like that. So, and I also, I was never a good student at school. I failed, I failed, I failed. I slept in class. I didn't, yeah. I can't, to me, E does not equal MC square. It never fucking will. I don't understand that shit. Yeah, I, dude. <laughs> and I, you know, and at that time when I was in high school, I was going through a lot more bullshit than, you know, like somebody wagging their finger at me about some assignment or something was not, it's like, yo, I don't know where I'm going to sleep tonight or where I'm getting, what I'm going to eat. Yo, like, yeah. Fuck yeah. your history assignment. Like, I don't care. <laughs> like, you know, yeah, so that's my why friend I, just died. Yeah. That's oh, why dude. I, yeah, that's why I dropped out, man. And we, and I was also a terrible student. I don't want to portray it, like put it all on my teachers because actually some of those teachers are the people that turned me around. Right. Um, and you know, I have a great deal of respect for people that, you know, are teaching the youth of, uh, you know, our, can you world. tell us about one of those people that helped her, one of those teachers? Well, yeah. I mean, specifically the staff at the, um, the alternative school that I went to, I got eventually expelled from the high school, like Ionia public schools. And, um, I went to, you know, Douglas R. Welch High School, which is sort of like alternative ed. And down there, Marty Bennett was an amazing teacher. I mean, she dealt with kids that were troubled like me. And what she did, dude, she didn't come in the class and say, here's your assignment, read this chapter and answer them. And I'll, you know, I'm going to sit at my desk and, you know, she would pull up a desk just like us and sit in the front of the class. And we would have group conversations about meaningful shit about you know the holocaust and about like you know racial shit about um sexual orientation stuff you know about how kids are getting picked on because they're gay or you know yeah. like meaningful shit that really helped us kids learn um and i'll never forget her i mean she's whenever we go play around her like i put her on the guest list or something i mean she's she's a homie she's a major homie and uh, Julie Blair, too, you know, uh, she was like the science and art teacher down there. Of course, we kind of got along because she like she's from Seattle, man. She's like got long hair. She loved horses. She's like all into Pearl Jam and shit. So, she, you know, nice. we would like vibe out on music sometimes. So I don't know. But it was also like in her classroom that I was like snorting meth off my like table and my desk and shit, you know, like like doing crazy shit like that, you know, leaving. Whoa. Like, le you know, leaving school to, like, go do drugs and shit. Like, ah, uh, I'm sick. I have to leave. And just, like, you know, go finish my whatever I was doing the night before. And uh, so they, they kind of helped me turn it around, you know. And uh, I would say Kathy, Kathy Haney, is, she wasn't a teacher, but she was my friend's mom. And I was, I was just couch surfing. Uh, partying out at this kind of trailer house for a while, which was my buddy Dan White's house. He was much older than all of us, but, you know, he'd like buy us beer and shit and we'd all get hammered out there and sleeping out there. There was nothing to eat all that, you know, and kind of just stayed at my buddy Hopper's house and then my buddy Kenyon's basement. And then, and then I ended up at my buddy Benji's house and I stayed there for about a week. And his mom got sick of me eventually. He's like, she's like, man, 
you've been here for like a week. Don't you, you know, don't you have your own house to go to? And I sort of kind of like welled up and was like, cause my house, my house was just kind of off limits at that point, man. It was all the mess shit. I don't, I didn't want to go over there. So I was like, yeah, I'm sorry, Mrs. Haney. Like I'll take off, you know, and I put my backpack together and I took off on my skateboard or whatever. And then my friend Benji, like kind of got on his mom and was like, man, he's going through some shit. Like, you know, uh, you know, and, and, uh, she called me back and said, come back. I didn't, I didn't know. Wow. So then, so then I went back and she's like, dude, you can crash here for as long as you want, wow. but you're going to go back to school and you're going to be, you're going to be inside and eat, eat with us, you know, at eight o'clock, like a family. And I was like, yeah. all right, do I want to be running the streets, not knowing where I'm going to eat or do I want to have shelter and, you know, so I chose that path for a minute. I tried to, you know, when I went back to school this time, I wasn't the class clown. I was the, I was just the one saying, man, let's just shut up and do this shit. We just got to get it over with. Like, right. Right. You yeah. know? Yeah. And I actually, the only reason I fucking graduated is cause I was selling mushrooms. Like, I, the, <laughs> like I couldn't, I, there was no way I was ever going to pass algebra. It was just not going to happen. Yeah. I literally, I couldn't. I know addition, multiplication, <laughs> subtraction, and division. That's it. How many eighths are in an ounce? Yeah. Yeah, ex exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Lot math. <laughs> I mean, I got that shit unlocked, but. Totally. Um, but, like, I used to pay this kid five bucks per assignment because I actually had money back then because I was selling mushrooms. And so, five bucks every. I was like, dude, I got you five bucks every day. And so 25 bucks a week, dude, all you got to do is give me the answers. And he did. And that's how I graduated because I was able to pass math. And uh, so, yeah, eventually I graduated and then I moved to, I, I was like, I need to get the fuck out of Ionia. Ionia yeah. Yeah. is, man, it's where I'm from. I'm proud to be there. It's beautiful people there. All my friends are back home, man. I, I love to go back, but it's also got that dark side of, you know, all the drugs and shit. And so, I was like, I need to get the fuck out of Ionia because it's dark here. Everything, it was like, you know, black and white. And, and when I moved to Traverse City, it was Technicolor. It was like, okay, I got sunshine up here. I got the water, Lake Michigan, uh, you know, good fishing. And, and also I get a chance to reintroduce my, you know, to choose my friends wisely. Mm. I don't, you know, I don't want to get a second chance. I don't want to get mixed in with the heroin crowd. I don't want to get. How old are you at this point? I was, uh, I guess, like 18. I just okay. had graduated, you know, 18 or 19 or something like that. Yeah, 18 when I moved to Traverse City. This is probably 2012, I think, 2011. Yeah. And so I moved up there. And that was right when I was really starting to pick a lot more Doc Watson and stuff like that, flat picking. And, and I did, I did a couple open mic nights and shit up there and people were like, like they went nuts for it, you know? And I was like, wow, y'all, you guys really like this shit? Like, you know? And, and, and I was really encouraged in Traverse city because there was people that really did, you know, our music heads there. And so that's kind of how I got started. And then I met Don um, I was working at this hotel kind of as like a lobby attendant, just walking around, emptying out the trash and cleaning windows and vacuuming shit. And, you know, um, and then I started playing gigs 
and then the get you know it would be like i would be at work until like six o'clock and then i get out and like by eight or nine i was like on stage and then i'd be out partying until like three or four and then i'd like sleep for two hours and go back to work and, <laughs> and i'd go to work drunk and it was just like man i was really burning the candle at both ends for a minute and i said i gotta quit one or the other and I'm not going to quit rocking and rolling, so fuck this job, <laughs> you know. And right. and that's when that's when I went on my first kind of tour, you know. We went out to, like, Idaho, and, you know, we went across the country playing these little gigs, little house concerts, and, yeah. you know, any little place we could, little coffee houses, playing for 20 people, and, you know. Um, like, holy shit, this is what I'm going to do for the next, you know, as long as I can keep driving around smoking weed. That's awesome. <laughs> you know, I like it's worked it. out and it's worked out pretty damn good, man. That's the age to do it too, man. Because when I was, <laughs> I don't, so many times I'm like, I, even if there's, if we have like a three hour ride in a 15 passenger van, I'm like, no, man. Because no. <laughs> I just, it brings me back to the days of when I used to do that with the Colonel when I was like 24, oh, 25, 26, you know, you got to do I, that while you're young. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Man, and I can't imagine being cooped up in a, in a you know, econo line with that motherfucker for Dude, 10 hours either. Dude, let me tell you we were, I, had, I moved to Nashville because I got this gig with these, this uh, Craig Cramp. He had come from L.A. because I think they had an earthquake and he bugged out. He moved to Nashville and brought his family there. So he's looking for guys that could rock. You know, he's like, I need somebody can really play some eighth notes, man. You know? And so I was doing a session with Kenny Greenberg and John Cowan. And who else was on it? I guess Craig was playing drums and producing. Anyway, I was starving with the Colonel, right? And then all of a sudden, I'm in this nice recording studio. I made a <laughs> bunch of money. <laughs> I'm 24 years old. They were like, dude, you should move here. You know, Craig's like, yeah, somebody can play some eighth notes, you know? It's just like, gong, 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 So I had this, like, <laughs> the devil and the angel on one side, you know, it's like, yeah, man, make this money and sit in the air conditioning. And <laughs> Colonel Bruce is out on the road. So I just like, nah, I hadn't found my voice. I got to go back and play with the Colonel. Yep. So I turn away from all that. I get back out with the colonel. We're doing a tour of colleges in the summer. And I'll never forget, <laughs> we were driving to Memphis. It was like 115 degrees inside the van. It was uh, a van with no seats. You know, it was like a work van. And it was, oh, the geez. AC did not work. And we had this little, you know, those little bitty fans. like you just yeah. <laughs> And we literally wow. would pull over. I th we're so covered in sweat. We pulled over. We jumped the <laughs> fence and went into a hotel pool. Clothes on everything. Got back in because your clothes are wet. And I was like, okay, I'll feel cool for a little bit. Then they're just like <laughs> hot and wet. And that's, so that's what I flashed back to. Someone puts me in a 15-passenger van for any longer than like a half hour. I'm like, no, no. PTSD. <laughs> There's not going to be windows. Oh, There's dude. And it was the colonel. <laughs> So oh, just man. like yes i mean Amazing. those are Ugh. i mean i tell you what I'd, I'd much rather be on a bus but those days and we used to travel in like a minivan with like a little trailer yeah. behind it was like a kia sedona 
Okay. So, and we took the seats out of the back, like you were saying. And so directly behind the driver's seat, there was a sleeping bag that was stuffed with memory foam. So that mattress. Yeah, it was, that was, yeah, the mattress. Oh yeah. We, we used to call it short term memory foam. <laughs> And, uh, <laughs> and so, dude, that's where I slept, man. Like, uh, we we had we had another person with us. Kevin Gills was playing bass, and so so it was Don and Kevin would sleep inside because we only had enough money to get one room. And and yeah. I and I would sleep in the parking lot at the hotel on the short term memory phone, man. <laughs> and that was my life, dude, for a little bit. I mean, I, so many nights I'd wake up to just people getting strangled and. You know, just oh, like shit. crazy Jeez. shit happening outside. And, um, you know, one time I was in Seattle <laughs> and this this woman was like arguing with her boyfriend on the phone, like right outside my window for like hours when I'm trying to sleep. And like, <laughs> you know, one of those arguments where they just keep going in circles and it's like, why are yeah. you guys like you're not even mad at each other. You're just terrible for each other. Like. This is just so dumb. Like God, and you I just turn into like you just turn into a therapist at some point. You're yeah. just like, listen, dude, just and, hang up the phone. And one night I got robbed. Um, like oh, no. I was in like some somewhere kind of near Indianapolis, I think, and I was sleeping. And I got up in the middle of the night to take a piss. So I walked out of the van in my boxers and I went out and took a piss next to this dumpster. And when I came back in, I shut the door. And fucking pass back out and I didn't lock it. And so then I woke up to the dome light being on, which was a, no- a normal occurrence of somebody hopping in there to look, you know, <laughs> find, to find their papers or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, oh, from the band. Yeah. 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 I thought it was <coughs> like, I thought it was like one of my guys just, you know, looking for his papers or whatever. And I'm back there sleeping. I'm like, man, turn that fucking dome light out, you know? And I put the cover over my head. Oh. And then I wake, I, I kind of fall back asleep for a few seconds, I think. And then when I woke up, I, the, the light was still on. And I'm like, dude, shut that fucking light off. And nobody said anything. And I go, hello? And nobody was there. And the front door was wide open and the rain was pouring in. And oh, I was Jesus. like, what the fuck? So somebody was just in here. They could just rob you while you were sleeping. Yeah. Full of cover. He's like, all right, I'll, I'll be done in a minute, man. <laughs> At least he's not arguing God. with his girlfriend. Dude, so, so the ne- yeah, the next morning I told the guys and I was like, man, like I, or, you know, after I realized that somebody was in there, I looked around and I saw the iPod sitting right there and I figured Okay, well, he must have just came in, saw me sleeping there, and then took off. And that's why the door was left open. He didn't want to wake me because he, you know, maybe he heard me snoring or something. And uh, so I told the guys, yeah, did somebody came in here last night when I was passed out? But, but I don't think they took nothing, you know, because the iPod or whatever. Until we went to go type in Chicago on our GPS and there wasn't one. And, uh, you know, and then it, we realized there was this little bag that had been stolen and, um some shit and and really the the worst thing that was stolen was the truss rod cover to don julian's you know custom mandolin which you know had the the in custom inlay that matched the headstock and everything so it's like ah something that's like irreplaceable yeah Yeah. totally and they probably just looked through the bag and you know 
I don't know. Are they going like to want pawn some this? Yeah. Well, there was like double A batteries, a metronome, like, you know, yeah, like, you like, like, like they robbed the wrong car. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and honestly, the bag itself was like this, like leather bag from like Spain or something that was really cool. And it was just like, God damn it. So I don't know. Lock your doors, people. If you're going to sleep. Yeah, in the- moral of the damn. story. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's just about, you know, life dues, on the road. Dues are real, you know, and you don't, when you're younger and you hear about paying your dues and all that, you just have no concept. And then when you look back, you go, oh, yeah, mine are paid, uh, you know. <laughs> like, yeah. I definitely paid them. I got the scars to show for it, you know. Well, like, yeah, and like, to be completely honest, dude, like learning more about you here today, listening to you, it's like it comes across in your playing so much. Mm-hmm. Like you don't fuck around, man. That's why you're so unbelievable to listen to. Like you're not faking it. You're not. You're not phoning it in every note. No fat. It's It's not a performance. You know, it's my life, man. You know, that's why it's. I've always played music. Music saved my life. You know, music is what kept me from being a total fuck up. You know, it's like if I didn't, if I didn't have music, or if I didn't, I don't have any other skills. You know what I mean? Like I, dude, I was never gonna go to college. I fucking hated high school you know what i mean like i'm never gonna be like have some good job somewhere um i gotta play guitar otherwise yeah i'm kind of screwed i don't know um and that's what i always thought too but i also thought like when i was young like elementary school i used to i used to read you know janice joplin Jimi hendrix kurt cobain jim morrison like Mm biographies and stuff i was like all those guys were my heroes man like yeah yeah just those kind of folks you know um and but it was also like you could never do that you could never like be a rock star you know what i mean like in my head yeah totally dude i live in a one-horse town like nobody nobody ever becomes a rock star from muir michigan you know what i mean like (laughs) and so (laughs) So like, um, you know, when I was like a teenager or whatever, I was just a, it was just not a reality. Mm-hmm. And even when I was in bands and stuff, it was like, man, we were losing money to play. We would pay to play. You know, I was like, yeah, it would suck. Yeah. The dude it was, back then it would like, you know, we'd like open the show and they would like send us, I remember passing out little paper tickets in high school to my friends and shit. Cause we would have to sell tickets to the show like to play, they would give us like actual paper tickets to be like, man, come to our show. Like in high school, I was doing that shit. More people you know? we get, the more minutes we get. Yeah. Or like, you know, you get to, if you don't even sell these tickets, I don't even think you can play the gig. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, exactly. So, and then we would, you know, uh, we would rent out our own spaces like the VFW hall or whatever and have our own gigs too. And that would cost us money and we'd lose our ass, but Hey, at least we got to fucking rage with our friends. Absolutely. You know? it's so funny you say that too because it's like there's that once it clicks in your head like oh i can do this then the possibilities are endless like with stand-up comedy it was like i always thought that those are those people must have went to like yale or harvard or came from another planet like there's no way that i can do this yeah and then once i'm once i try it and it starts working it's like oh okay all you have to do is just try like i thought you had to be like I don't know, like some degree in comedy. Yeah, like I had no idea. Like I had no clue. Like yeah, like but I don't think like you can. uh, 
you know, still, I don't think you can become like someone like Jimi <laughs> Hendrix or, you know, Bob Marley or Kurt Cobain or something. But I realized when I was like starting to play gigs that, no, I can't do that, but I can make a living playing music. Like right. I can, you know, I might, yeah. I may not be like some rock star or something, but I can play music to, and pay my bills and have a good life and just play music with my friends. And that's and freaking awesome. Boss. You know? Yeah. yeah. Well, rock star is relative too, because I know <laughs> some people that are, you know, they don't see them. I think they feel like they're uh, still haven't attained the level of rock star when they actually have. Oh man, <laughs> you know? I, I, yeah. Every you know, if you be, you are a fucking rock star, man. Like I, I love, I love that. Like nobody can tell you shit. Like if you believe it, man, rip that shit, bro. You know, like. But, but that's what the real thing is. The real. The real rock star is the person that just said, F it, I'm going to do this and just go for broke. And then later on, they go, oh, that was a trailblazer or what? Or maybe even in their lifetime, it might happen, but it was that initial spirit. So it's like, it's easy to compare yourself to like Hendrix or, you know, a lot of these guys died in their early 20s, you know, and then they're, you know, and I'm like... I feel bad for the ones that I see that are comparing like that because I'm like, you already are a rock star. You already are a household name and you just, you don't realize. So oh, it's yeah. just like a mind, it's a yeah, mind and thing. Sometimes it's like the people who need you find you and then you're beyond a rock star in their eyes. And that's what's more important. You know what I mean? Like just because everybody knew Kurt Cobain's name doesn't mean shit. You know what I mean? Like it's what he meant to the people who really needed him. I think that's yeah. what's most important, you know what I mean? Especially in the scene we're in, man. Like, people lose their fucking mind to you, you know? Uh, like, yeah. you're bringing yeah. them to another place, and that's really what matters, you know? Six Nights at the Cap, that's pretty that's fucking great, dude. Right yeah, there. I think you did it. <laughs> that was fun, man. <laughs> that really was, was, man. I joke. What was that tune I asked you about of yours? Well, it's uh, Home. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that's the title track of our last record that's a weird song that Um, song makes stirs up all these things like when i have that deja vu experience you know it stirs up all that stuff i i remember texting you about it or dming you or something on instagram that's a beautiful beautiful song man that thing is timeless it has a timeless quality to it to me i don't know what the hell i was thinking when i wrote it i was um Shit, I don't even know, man. I feel like it was a mixture of some like Radiohead and Ravi, Ravi Shankar shit, dude. <laughs> you know, or like, uh, yeah, yeah. Know, I, like I, I don't know. Like uh, I was doing an exercise where uh, my friend Lindsay and I, we used to do this thing where we would try to write ten songs in one day, and and so it's like, okay, we start at you know, nine o'clock in the morning and we go till six o'clock at night, write 10 songs and we're going to get together at seven and we're going to show each other what we came up with that day. Wow. So that song came from one of those experiments. It was the third song that I wrote that day. Wow. How many times have you guys done that? Have you done it that like a bunch of times? Uh, yeah, we've played that song a bunch. It's no, fun. no, I mean, I mean, doing the 10 songs oh, a day, oh, like a couple times, only a, only a handful, probably three times, I think. 
Nice. Um, That's awesome. You never make it to 10. You get, you know, <laughs> you get about five or six and then you're like, ah, oh, fuck. You know? <laughs> but anyways, maybe one or two of them are good. I, I swear that, that I wrote home and I wrote something else that made the record on the same day. You know, so, so I got two songs out of that little deal that went on the record. So. That's awesome. Um, yeah, beautiful, beautiful stuff. I remember asking Greg Allman, <clears throat> I said, because, you know, when we played, I played with him for 17 years, and I never got tired of Cross to Bear. I never got tired of Eight Weights. I mean, there's like, yeah. I just never got tired of it. And <clears throat> they had been playing them for like 40 years, you know? And I asked Greg one time, I said, how did you write such timeless stuff as a teenager like you know that whole first record is just like yeah. you know you never get tired of that stuff and he goes well man you know we were under pressure i mean we had to come up with all these songs and you know i only had a couple of weeks or something so it was just like basically wow. he, he had a gun up his ass and he just was like ah! <laughs> yeah like, wow. it all out. yeah <laughs> yeah it's like it's like throwing a rubik's cube in the air and it comes down done just like ah you know <laughs> like yeah it's magic yeah. If there's, yeah. and i was just like there was magic it was that time. He was under pressure at that time. He spat it yeah. out. The band was it. It was just, it all, you know, it was magic. I think uh, Merle Travis wrote Dark as a Dungeon. And, and, you know, he wrote all the songs for that same thing, I, I think, in like one week or something. And wow. That kind of shit is just unreal, man, how people can do that. But um, it's just like this, I can't do it often at all. But sometimes when I write a song, I won't say a good song, but a song that I, even I can say, oh, okay, it's all right. Because I usually hate my shit. But usually, you know, like, if I can write a good one, it's just something that just came so naturally and I didn't have to think about it so much. Like, I wrote one the other day called Morning Light. Um, and it's sort of a love song, which is even a different approach for me anyways. Um, kind of scares me. I need to stay unhappy so I can keep writing. <laughs> but... uh Yep, totally. But I wrote this song in about ten minutes uh, while my girlfriend went for a for a walk, and she's like, "I'm gonna go for a walk." I was like, "All right." Picked up my guitar. I, I'm like, "I'm alone for like five minutes." And like, boom! I wrote out these verses. Then I hit up my buddy Paul Hoffman. I was like, "Dude, put a chorus on this." He did it. It's like, dude, that's a fucking song right there, and it's one that I'm awful proud of. And uh, you that's know fantastic. that, yeah, and that never happens. But I mean, it was like fucking thirty minutes, you know. And this is so fun when that happens. And it's some of the best shit I, I, that I've come up with yet, you know. That's why I think it's a ma there's magic involved in it because it's just like sometimes they just fall out. You know, the song just falls out of you, and you're like, "Well, wow." It's not me. Yeah, it's like <laughs> yeah. I, I think of it as I think of it almost like uh, okay, like you're you're like Star Wars or something. You're traveling through space or something. It's like, or even just there's always stuff just constantly coming at you from the atmosphere, from the ether. And it's just like kind of sifting through or putting a cast net up for that shit and, yeah. and grabbing it and then like regurgitating it and putting it down. Like, I don't feel like the songs I've written are even mine. I think they're kind of uh, scrabble, kind of little puzzle pieces of words scattered around of shit that I've heard and, and stuff that I've ingested over the years and kind of just moved around and shifted and, 
you know, like, like, especially with the bluegrass stuff, man, you, yeah. it's all that same lingo, man, that, you know, they call me by a number, not a name. And, you know, all this, shit. Yeah. if I would have listened to what mom and dad said, I wouldn't have been here today. And, you know, all that shit, you know, like, it's just, I love that well, tradition. Yeah. And it's a language and it's a, it's a, uh, almost like an accent, even like bluegrass mm -hmm. kind of language. That's why I can write with somebody like John Weisberger really good. Um, he's one of my buddies who I write a lot with and he, you know, he just grew up on flat and scrugs and Bill Monroe and all that shit. And so did I. So man, when we sit down and write together, it's like, oh yeah, I know that. I know where you're going with that. You know, shared language. I think yeah. it's that cast net when you said I with the cast net, because I feel like there's an openness, like we, we could be receive, we're part receiver and part transmitter. So mm -hmm. if you open up to receive it, if you throw out the cast net, then you catch it and then you got to like do all the right. stuff and cook it up and then serve it back out. You right. know? But, yeah. And it's almost kind of like there's a stickiness to the stuff that, that needs to be, needs to be said too. And you know, there's like also, you let it just sticks with you and then you're kind of like, okay, I'm going to, I know subconsciously that I'm going to pay attention to this thought or I'm going to pay attention to this word and you don't even have to try. It just stays there with you sometimes. It hangs. That's the stuff I love. Yeah. Yeah. And like when it just comes right off your tongue and you didn't even have to try, it's like, okay, that's for some reason that's good. And I feel like sometimes, you know, when you got something that's really clever and really wordy or, you know, on a monopia alliteration, some really fancy thing with your lyrics or something, <laughs> it's like, it's not as good as just saying, you know, my heart is made of stone or something, you know, just some, yeah. <laughs> some rock solid thing that is just like classic and cool. Like, uh, if you think of like the Stanley brothers, man, that's my favorite. Mm. Some of my yeah. favorite shit ever. I mean, me too. It, it takes a worried man to sing a worried song. You know, I'm worried now, but I won't be worried long. That's How can beautiful. you write so something? Simple. I mean, it's just, it's so rock solid, you know? Yeah, I remember uh, uh, Jeff Mosier. I lived with him for a minute in like 1988. He taught me so much about bluegrass, man. It played me so much of that old stuff, and I, I really got it from knowing the people's stories and stuff, you know, and, uh, the king of bluegrass, Jimmy Martin. And like hearing oh, all this yeah. Jimmy Martin stories and stuff. You know, oh, dude, he like, was a nut. He was a total nut. You know, <laughs> I actually meant to DM you, man. When Tony Rice died, I, I just, you know, it's been such an onslaught of people dying during the pandemic, but I thought of you, man, when I, when I learned about him passing. Yeah. It sucks, man. Um, he was, God, he, he just played and sang so good. So, so good, man. When you listen to his albums and his records and stuff, I mean, the, every, his tone, his timing, just the ideas, the stuff that he played, the way he kind of worked around his fretboard, man, was like nobody else. And yeah. just amazing, you know, the amount of work that he left, too. Mm -hmm. And especially as a bluegrass guy coming up, I mean, hearing all that stuff from, you know, his stuff to J.D. Crow in the New South to David yeah. Grisman Quintet. I mean, he could, he wasn't just bluegrass, man. He could play anything. And what a total badass. Yeah. And then he changed bluegrass guitar. Like when I was, when I was first starting out playing, I only really heard Doc Watson 
that yeah. I mean, I I heard Norman Blake and Tony on some stuff a little bit, and I heard you know Larry Sparks and and other guitar players, but but it was mostly Doc Watson, and and it wasn't until later when I started kind of going out and venturing out, going to bluegrass festivals and stuff, not even necessarily hearing Tony Rice's records, but just going into a jam session back there at somebody's camper and hearing this kid play guitar. And I'm saying, man, he's got this different kind of way of playing where it's kind of more like power chords almost. And it's almost like he's doing this deedly thing with the B string. How did he do that? And, and, and it's kind of masculine in a way, you know, it's really yeah. fucking, you know, badass. <laughs> yeah. and, and, and I started realizing, man, all these kids are kind of playing like Tony Rice and I play more like Doc Watson yeah. where it's just the play, the melody. And he's kind of like, you know, like more how your grandpa would play it. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so, yeah. And then I really started realizing that, okay, Everybody does the Tony thing. Nobody's doing the doc thing, you know? So interesting. So I just awesome, kept, man. kept trying to learn that, but, but now I'm still, you know, I'm, st I still have a lot of stuff to learn because I haven't really dug in and, you know, learned like Tony's licks and stuff. I haven't like really yeah. dug in and, but I want to, I want his, his chord shapes and, and his, his rhythm playing, man. Every mm -hmm. time he played, he backed himself up on the guitar like a motherfucker, man. It was just awesome. Every time he took a breath, he would put in something real nice that would just filled out the music. And it's so unreal. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so grateful to have got turned on to that music. You probably know, like, uh, when I first started playing, uh, uh, Matt Mundy was in the in our band. Yeah. <laughs> and his brother Mark Mundy played, and then Jeff Autry. And Scott Vestal, they played <laughs> with those guys. And those are the first guys that I ever saw play live. And I was like, monsters. Monsters. I was like, whoa, these bluegrass people could really play, man. <laughs> and uh, yeah, what a revelation that was. And such nice people too, man. And uh, it just right. opened up that, you know, Mosher took me to all these bluegrass festivals, Peach Blossom and... <laughs> Just, I went to Everett's uh, Everett's Pickin' Barn or Everett's Music Barn, you know, up in, in Georgia. Nice. Man, crazy stuff, man. Uh, yeah. Well, I hope we get to play together, man. We're going to have to pick some ourselves, dude. Oh, I know. that'd be incredible. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we should put together stuff. like a little something just for fun. We got some ideas in the works, dude. We would have to have Billy to uh, to some of the Comes a Time retreats, Oteal. Yeah. yeah, we're we're thinking about doing our own little comes a time, not a festival, but like a retreat. That's that's really what I want to have, like yeah. meditation, low pressure, yoga, fishing, yeah, music. Yeah. You know, just the whole. Mushrooms. Just let's come hang, have and people come out. speak. Yeah. You know, nice easy so. time had by all, dude. It's so awesome getting to know you, Billy. And just yeah, man. Can, thank you for uh, spending time, man. Come back anytime and hang with us more. Yeah, I will, man. Where are you at, Otila? Are you in? I'm in Florida. I'm yeah, in South Florida. That's what I thought. Dude, they got some big bass down there. I need to come fishing. And <laughs> come on, dude. You can teach Nigel because I don't know. I, I used to go fishing with my Uncle Billy when I was really young. 
and I've cleaned them before, and I used to know how to do it all, but I don't know how to do it at yeah. all. And I want Nigel to learn it because he's real wild, yeah. and I want him to do something that's naturally meditative that he gets off on, dude, so he can just kind of go to that place when it's he needs so to. Fun, dude. Like, it's I've the been, best. This whole kind of quarantine thing, I've just been basically focused on bringing my lure through the water, you know? <laughs> And and that's it. So yeah, maybe, dude, I'll come down there and bring the boat or something and take you guys fishing or something. Man, something. Uh, we <laughs> That'd be would cool. Love that dude. Yeah, would love that. That boat's gonna go right off the water and into the sky, dude. <laughs> 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 Nigel's not gonna be doing any mushrooms. <laughs> <laughs> no, not not till least ten. I'll be driving not the boat. Least 10. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, thank you so much for hanging, dude. Yeah, man. Yeah. Thank you for being so vulnerable, man. This That's what we really like. What I like in this podcast is like, it's this, the people's story. You know, yeah. the rock star thing is fine, but you know, I really love seeing people's hearts and heads. So thank you for that, man. Yeah. There's two, you know, the, the thing you said too, about like the two ideas of your childhood where like, and you mentioned like, you know, the clouds kind of came in at a certain point. There's some like memories of childhood where like it's sunny and it's light yeah. and it's breezy and it's, you know, and then there's the memories that are cold and gray. And like, it's so interesting that you say that because it's exactly like dead on how you look back on things. Mm -hmm. Me personally, you know what I mean? Like you see certain times that are like, you feel like a kid running after an ice cream truck and like your feet aren't even touching the ground. You're not even worried about falling or hurting yourself or whatever, you know? And then there's the other ones where you feel like you're a child, but you're also carrying the weight of the world. Yeah, Totally. Yeah. Crazy. It's right. harsh, but we get through the other side, man. We did sure. it. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, spring's here. I felt I felt that kind of uh, yeah. renewal yesterday. I was out fishing all day, and it was like, you know, really nice and sunny. And it was just, I felt I could breathe nice, fresh air, and I felt really good. And it's just, okay, we're going to be all right, man. Yeah, you know? dude, totally. We, need we are. Yeah. Oh, bless you, man. You have a blessed day, dude. Thank you, dude. You too, brother. Thank you guys so much for having me on the show. And uh, I'll, I'll be in touch, dude. Let's pick and hang. And hopefully, you know, hopefully we'll get back on the road and I'll be able to see you guys come play. I want to catch a Dead & Company show real bad. Dude, I will hook you up for sure. Right on, man. For sure. All right. You have a good one, brother. Later, All brother. Right. We'll see you guys. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com. 
code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points. 